Hello, Great Minds. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History. And on this episode of The Chaser, we're looking into one of my favorite historical fairy tales, the legend of Prester John. This episode of DGMH is brought to you by Podcorn, the easy, stress-free way to start monetizing your podcast. Anyone who has started a podcast from scratch dreams of rapid growth and generating some income, but making those dreams into realities can be challenging. But not with Podcorn. Personally, I had no idea who to reach out to, who would be interested in sponsoring my show, or where to even begin. Podcorn changed all of that. Podcorn is a place where podcasters can connect with great, relevant podcast sponsorship opportunities, and you get to work directly with every sponsor. Podcasters, big and small, can browse and choose opportunities right from the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly in a way that is easy for everyone. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there to support you every step of the way. Podcorn gives podcasters creative freedom and full control of how and when we monetize. Just click on the link in my show notes to sign up with Podcorn and start making the most of your podcasting journey. So let's raise a glass to Podcorn. Cheers! So welcome to the show, everyone. On this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, we are looking into one of early modern Europe's greatest, most widely accepted myths, Prester John. And for those of you wondering what the hell a prester is, well, so was I. It actually comes from the Latin word for, for presbyter, meaning elder. Catholic and Orthodox Christian faiths have used this word almost interchangeably with the word priest at times. Not that I have ever heard it used once. But it is basically an overseer of a faith. So is Prester John some sort of mythical Christian priest? Well, sort of. But this Catholic unicorn was much more than that. Every bit as potentially valuable to the Christian nations of Europe as gold, slaves, tulips, and nutmeg. But who was Prester John? What the hell does he have to do with Isabella? I'll tell you not too much there. And where the hell was this mythical man named John hanging out? Well, I'll tell you all I can. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. The Chaser. Now a quick background. It's the 1400s and exploration is all the rage. Well, really just for Portugal. The plan, round every African tip imaginable, in search of gold slaves and a passage to the spices of the east. Portuguese kings and princes patroned voyages of, quote, discovery to unlock all the secrets the world still had to offer. Making use of technologies new to Europeans, Dom Enrique the Navigator, whom never navigated further than North Africa, was able to commission voyages into the unknown thanks to, quote, innovations like the astrolabe latin sails and magnetic compasses, all of which had been around for centuries. Oh yeah, and they needed some big-ass ships, caravels, galleons, etc. And speaking of patronage, you should totally consider heading over to the DGMH Patreon page. There, you can support the show and get access to all sorts of crazy that unfolds on our Shots and Twists bonus conversations. Sounds fun, doesn't it? But Mr. DGMH, what about the Prester? Just hold on, I'm getting there. Pretty much everyone who is listening to this show knows that Europeans sailed or paid people to sail the high seas in search of the three Gs, God, gold, and glory. Isabella did it, Portugal did it, but the three Gs really weren't so simple. 
By 1517, God was starting to mean different things for different people. And of course, there was an existing Jewish and Muslim population that existed in Iberia as well, at least until the late 1400s. So God was more of an excuse for most actions. Gold was less about finding actual gold itself, and more about finding riches. Whether it be spices or luxury items, no one really cared so long as they made bank. And glory, well yeah, pretty much everyone wanted that. But legends were also a big motivator, especially especially when it came to inland exploration. And few legends infected the imaginations of Isabella's world more so than Prester John. My god, what the hell is Prester John? Okay, fine, I'll tell you. Turning to historian Mary Weisner Hanks, she says, quote, Along with searching for gold and slaves, Portuguese captains were also hoping to connect with the Christian kingdom of Prester John, reported to be somewhere in Africa. The legend of Prester John is rooted in a 12th century letter that was supposedly written by Prester John himself to the Byzantine emperor at the time, Emmanuel. It was believed by most Europeans that he was the descendant of one of the three kings that brought gifts of Franken-something and myrrh to little baby Jesus Christ. The letter, which circulated throughout the continent and was translated into several languages, caught the eye of every European Christian kingdom. In the letter, which is still easily found today, Prester John conveys the nature and power of his kingdom. The letter speaks of mass numbers of soldiers in the tens of thousands, beauty and riches beyond compare, and Christians. Lots of fucking Christians. Prester John writes, quote, We cannot at present tell you enough about our glory and power. But when you come to us, you will say that we are truly the Lord of Lords, and if you can count the stars in heaven and the sand in the sea, then you can calculate the extent of our kingdom and our power. Alluring for certain. Prester John, whose apparent immortality didn't seem to phase Europeans, contributed to the calling of several crusades, and countless travelers, including Marco Polo, even sought out the legendary king. Historian Keegan Brewer suggests, quote, It is clear that Europeans firmly believed that such a king or line of kings ruled a Christian kingdom just beyond the reach of their known world. And generations of travelers from Marco Polo through to the era of European maritime exploration eagerly sought details to confirm this. Prester John was imagined first to reside in the Indies, somewhere vaguely to the east. And in the context of Mongol expansion, his legend moved into their realm. But by the 14th and 15th centuries, with growing knowledge of India and coastal Africa through maritime exploration, Prester John had begun migrating to Africa. As the origin of this king seemed to shift, by the age of exploration his legend became more deeply rooted in the kingdom of Ethiopia. Now let's talk about why the hell Europeans wanted to find this mythical Catholic king in the first place. It's a pretty outdated argument that Europeans entered the Atlantic to bypass the Ottoman Empire's Islamic chokehold on the spice trade of the East, but it wasn't wrong to say Europeans wanted to find their own pathway to those riches, if simply just to cut out the middleman. Moreover, the crusading zeal of European nations like Portugal and Spain were burning hot as hell in the late 1400s as the Reconquista came to a close, and the Christian nations were always looking for ways to counter the swift growth of the Ottoman Turks, especially after the fall of Constantinople. Enter Ethiopian Prester John, a Catholic king who was perfectly situated to help Europe surround the Ottoman Empire. If the Portuguese, for example, could link up with Prester John, they could use their newfound Christian allies to surround and crush their Ottoman enemies, reclaim the quote holy land, and make a shitload of money in the process. 
Since no Prester John would be found in Mongol Asia and India didn't seem to pan out either, Westerners looked to Ethiopia to fill their Prester-shaped void. In the famous travels of Marco Polo, he had described Ethiopia as a quote, magnificent Christian land. And very quickly, the African heritage of Prester John grew in popularity. When European explorers established contact with the kingdom, Ethiopian envoys promptly traveled to the papacy in Rome to make their presence well known. They were naturally perplexed by Europeans' insistence on referring to their king, Zara Yaqab, as Prester John. In the end, most scholars believe that Ethiopia was not the true origin of Prester John, but instead that Europeans adapted their story to fit with what actually existed. It was, as Mary Wisner Hanks puts it, quote, The story of Prester John is not based on historical evidence about Ethiopian or Asian rulers, but instead on wishful thinking. Maps of the time, including the first one to use the word America, typically placed Prester John somewhere around the Himalayas. But some did actually place him in Africa as early as 1516. But did anything ever actually come out of this wishful thinking? Well, yeah, it kind of did. The Portuguese never found Prester John, because he probably wasn't quite, oh, you know, real. But they did find Ethiopia, and the Catholic Kingdom of Ethiopia actually joined them in battle against Portugal's Islamic enemies, but solely because the Ethiopians needed Portugal's help. Leaders of the Adal Sultanate had aimed to conquer Abyssinia, or the Ethiopian Empire, in a conflict known as the Ethiopian Andal War. This war raged from 1529 to 1543. The Adal Sultan and his Ottoman allies nearly toppled the Ethiopian Empire until Emperor Dawit II and later Emperor Gelawadeus, who I am sure some Europeans were still calling Prester fucking John, was able to secure Portuguese naval and military aid. Although the inverse of European desires, this Afro-Catholic Portuguese alliance proved able to curtail Muslim ambitions in the region after an allied victory at the Battle of Wainadaga. While this might not have been the big Christian ally that Europeans were hoping for, it is still pretty fucking cool that there actually was a Christian king hanging around North Africa after all this time. So that's it. That's Prester John. But all this got me wondering, how has Prester John been remembered? And boy, did I fall down a geeky rabbit hole this time. But that's okay, because plot twist, I'm a bit of a geek. So aside from being in just about every European and Atlantic world history textbook out there, believe it or not, Prester John is actually a Marvel Comics character. Now this is something I have been paying attention to and thinking about a lot since I discovered that Cotton Mather was also a Marvel Comics baddie. You remember Cotton Mather, our inoculating witch hunting crazy from Salem. But back to Prester John. Somewhere between hero and villain, much like many of our great minds, Prester John first appeared in Fantastic Four Volume 1, number 54 in 1966, and has since appeared as an antagonist in Thor and Deadpool storylines as well. His character is a, quote, centuries-old explorer who was born in an unnamed kingdom in Eastern Asia, which he once ruled. So kudos to Marvel for at least doing their research here. Overall, he is a rather lame character cast aside to the shadows of Marvel Comics. But what the hell, it's still history. Well, let's move to this week's drink on the scale of greatness. Although I have been enjoying a glass of my favorite wine, Vina Verge, which just so happens to be Portuguese, I will instead be rating a shot that is representative of both Isabella and Prester John, and hey, 
Ethiopia. Vale's double espresso flavored vodka. Coffee is a bit of a nexus of all worlds, and a historical passion of mine. With origins in the story of Kaldi, the 9th century Ethiopian goat herder, who supposedly discovered the effects of coffee when he noticed how excited his goats became after eating the beans from a coffee plant. And much of its origin is rooted in the East and Middle East. It would be one of the most desired commodity goods of the world that Isabella helped to jumpstart. Coffee has had its five minutes of fame in just about every early modern empire. It would be staple goods in Brazil for a period of time, as well as Saint-Domingue and parts of the Spanish Americas. And in Britain, it was extremely popular for a period of time. The so-called Penny University, named for the cost of entry into a coffee house and a cup of coffee, was a place where men of all socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds could congregate to discuss the affairs of the empire, almost as equals for a fleeting moment. One of the first coffee shops appeared in 1654 in Oxford. In fact, the Queen's Lane Coffee House is still in operation today. In England, historian Brian Cohen notes the coffee house, a place, quote, where people gathered to drink coffee, learn the news of the day, and perhaps to meet with other local residents and discuss matters of mutual concern. A place for like-minded scholars to congregate, to read, as well as learn from and debate with each other, but was emphatically not a university institution. A place for true virtuosi and wits. Coffee drinking was so popular among men that it began to take away from their home life. Women were formally petitioning against coffee drinking as early as 1674, claiming that it even made men sterile and rendered them impotent, and that the drink made men, quote, as unfruitful as sandy deserts, from where that unhappy berry is said to be brought. But as time passed, women too became regulars and workers in the English coffee house, and according to Cohen, the Penny University provided a rare venue for some women to take part in public life and even on occasion express political opinions in early modern England. In many ways, the English coffee house served as a sort of precursor to the French salon. Coffee was eventually surpassed by tea consumption in Britain as 19th century historian Aiton Ellis points to inclusion as the reason for the failure of the English coffee house. As he notes, quote, In short, coffee men had made a tactical blunder and had overreached themselves. Despite the natural inclusive nature of the early coffee house, Britain's elite didn't like their salon doors being opened to the, quote, common herd. American revolutionaries of the British Empire turned to this brew in their efforts to boycott British tea in the early 1770s. Ever since then, it has been America's go-to drink, the way most of us start our days. And of course, since we are talking espresso, notice there is no X. Coffee actually reached Europe through Italy first in the early 1600s and quickly spread from there, and the Dutch were actually the first to import the good into Europe on a massive scale. Why have I said all this? I don't know. I really fucking like coffee. So, in case you forgot, I'm rating Vale Double Espresso Flavored Vodka. In terms of taste, this shit is amazing. It tastes just like coffee. It goes down as smooth as an iced coffee, but is still 70 proof. This stuff will kick your ass, and it isn't sickeningly sweet, either. Honestly, I love coffee, and if you do too, then you will agree that this stuff gets 6 points for taste. In terms of price, well again, I went for the airplane size bottles, which were around a dollar a piece, but a regular 750 milliliter bottle only goes for $11.99. Cheap and tasty, I'm giving this another six points for price. 
And since I can't seem to find anything negative to say about this stuff, I want to give it another six points for returnability. I bought a few of these bottles because I knew I liked it so much and I might buy a big one. But that seems crazy. To give a drink a perfect score, there must be a flaw. Oh yeah, it's cheap vodka. Sweet and leaves you with a pretty nasty headache the next day if you aren't careful. But on DGMH, that's what we consider a personal choice. Oh, what the hell. Six points for the fact that I would gladly do a shot of this stuff any day. Dangerously delicious, Vail Double Espresso Vodka leaves the show with what I believe is the first perfect score for a drink and six crowns. That's the stuff of legend. Well, that's it. If you enjoy Drinks with Great Minds in History, then be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. Some people said the Instagram was hard to find, so I went ahead and changed the handle to Drinks with Great Minds underscore podcast. Be sure to check it out. Don't forget to join the DGMH Facebook group where you can get a dose of DGMH daily and chat with all your favorite guests and me. Don't forget to leave the show a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you want to support the show and get access to even more great content, then be sure to visit the DGMH Patreon page. There, listeners can get access to bonus shots discussions, cut segments, and bonus questions from a twist of sight. And by the way, be sure to join us next week as Dr. Sherry Valencic returns to explain to us the inner workings of the mind of Isabella of Castile. Now let's raise a glass, once again, to legends. Not only did we learn what a prester was, but we learned that early modern Europeans will ignore every possible bit of logic to support their own crazy theories. Prester John is a pretty cool myth, a pretty cool character, actually. Hell, he even has a Marvel Comics character based on him. The legend of Prester John drove coastal exploration of parts of Africa, pushed Europeans into the unknown, and made for one hell of a good story. And there's nothing like a story to keep people going. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>